listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy, Australia's number one weekly podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies, here to bring an independent voice to truckies right round Australia. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer, and Queensland Rail committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. G'day, it's great to see you again for episode 114 of On The Road. It's another packed show with special guests Rod Hanafy joining Mike to talk through a bunch of important trucking issues. Aussie music artist Matt Cornell is in the house for a chat about his brilliant career and his latest single. Once again, Mike gives us a whole lot to think about later in the show and something to talk about. As always, we've got the latest from the On The Road newsroom and Adam Brand takes us out with his brilliant version of a Queen classic. We've got a long way to go, so let's fire this thing up and... Get this show on the road! Yes, get on with it! G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road, we're listening to the big rigs on the road. <laughs> Across the nation, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, australiantruckradio.com.au. I've got Rod Hanafy with me today, President of National Road Freighters Association. We've got a bit of stuff on the agenda. We've got some stuff about stopping bays, apprenticeships, education. We want to talk about rest areas and things like that. Rod, he's up in North Queensland having a bit of a go up there. How are you, Rod? Yeah, good, mate. Good. It's uh, It's been sunny and warm, and this is my second weekend up here, but I'm actually uh, planning to attend a heavy vehicle road safety forum in Mackay on Wednesday. So worked it in and hope that it'll all go to plan. Righto. So you've, have you got some trailers for that thing yet, that TIV, mate? No, mate, not yet. I've got a set of 50th anniversary Rod Pillen trailers on and got yep. them sorted, and they match pretty well for the time being. They're the interim set. Yep. And working on a new set for the new year, and we'll see how that goes. Still a bit to arrange yet. No worries. So how's the thing going, mate? How's that big K200 going these days? Look really well. Hmm. We had a bit of an issue with a broken wire at the start. That was a bit frustrating, but <laughs> got that sorted. The only thing that's happened since then is a wire fell off the stoplight, which was about a 30-second fix for someone that knew where it was. Righto. So other than that, mate, no, it's going well. Yeah, right. So you're obviously quite happy with the truck. It looked all right when I saw it up at Toowoomba there a couple of months ago, mate. She looked like she was going to do the business. Yeah, I, I looked at a lot of blue trucks for a long time. Mate, had to have something a little bit different, and and, and I think that's worked. It's pretty noticeable either way. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm happy how it's turned out, and yes, I'm certainly looking forward to get matching trailers, but you can't have everything you want overnight. No. We all know it takes a long time to get anything done, and of course in this industry, in some ways, it's even worse, getting people to listen. And I suppose my current focus is simply having been to, whilst I was away, I had shoulder surgery on the, the left-hand side this time. Yeah. I did go to Canberra for a meeting with Tony Burke about you know what's going to happen with these recommendations from the Senate inquiry. And I also went to a meeting in Melbourne at the Invite of Carol Brown for the National Road Safety Strategy. Yeah. And made at both of those meetings... Had I not been off on work cover, mm. one, I probably wouldn't have been able to get there. And two, even then, I was the only employed driver yeah. at either of the meetings. And, and look, I'm concerned that we haven't, and, and I, I'm sure that you would agree, mate, over the last 20 years, you know, we haven't been consulted enough as drivers. Now, 
we know people, whether they work for the ATA, whether they work for TMR, whether they work for a road worker, you, you hope that their intent is genuine. Yeah. That what they try and do, whether it's for road safety or for the industry or whatever, is to help those people involved in it. But my concern is that those of us on the road simply don't have the time and the resources or the ability to just take days off here and there and go to all these meetings and have a say. Mm. And because of that, we haven't been heard, we haven't been listened to, and we haven't really achieved the things that we could have had that happened. You won't get an argument out of me. I mean, there are a number of things that I would like to do with respect to education and getting around and improving the profile of trucking in general. And it's very, very difficult to get some time. When I was invited to go up to the release of the new Western Stars up in Brisbane the other day and couldn't go because you just can't take time off work. It's just a reality. And unfortunately, as you say, all these meetings that you go to, the one you went to with Tony Burke and the one that you went to with Carol Brown, there would have been a bevy of paid lobbyists and other people there to get their point of view across. And if there's not a driver there in the ranks, well, unfortunately, silence is consent, isn't it, really? Well, it is. And we all know that we're not all perfect, mate. Mm. I've never made the claim that truck drivers are perfect. No group are. Yeah. And the few that do the wrong thing, no matter what it is, of course, they get all the press. Yes. And you've only got to go back to many years ago. There was a TV show where they finally sort of got us all together. And the one bloke who got the most say got up and yelled and screamed and swore and carried on. Yeah. And then the rest of the people there who were sensible and and looking to actually see something improve Mm. were shadowed over and then didn't get a say. And It's unfortunate that, I suppose, when you look at social media now, it's good for some things. You can get a good message out if you're lucky, Mm. but the bad messages go further and faster and you can't control them. And in that way, they do more harm than good. And no matter how good we change the industry, and look, I said at both of these meetings, I said, honestly, I don't think we are recognised for the lives that we save. Yep. You try and anticipate people doing stupid things. You watch them and you think, oh, geez, I'm a bit wary of this bloke or whatever. And, you know, then they cut you off and you miss them and you've saved their life. And, of course, when there's an accident, we're blamed that, you know, there was a trucking accident, you're guilty by default. At the meeting in Melbourne, there was a lady there from Women in Transport Australia and she spoke of a young lady truck driver who was involved in a suicide where someone stepped out in front of a truck. Yeah. She ended up carted off to jail, suffering mental problems after that. And yet all she did that day was go to work to feed her family and do the job. It's simply that we don't get recognised for the good that we do. Mm. We're not appreciated for the fact that we do improve people's lives across Australia. And then simply because we're all bloody hard at work doing it, we don't get to have a say and, and improve those things we want fixed. Well, I know that it's very, very bloody hard to keep across what's going on when you're on the road. Well, you know that I do a lot of work out around western New South Wales and a hell of a lot of water laying around out there at the moment and you're spending a lot of time doing your job and unfortunately things happen in the industry, announcements are made, etc. and you just miss it. Yeah. And because I do this show and I talk to people all the time, I'm lucky people will ring me up and send me messages and things like that, but the vast majority of guys that are out there working don't get those messages. They're head down, ass up, doing the job. These are the opportunities that we miss when things are up for review, etc. like that. Of course, the standard answer was, oh, well, you didn't say anything. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, it's nearly guilty by default. 
and I'll be critical of those major associations that in the past have not sought consultation. Mm. And when I challenged them on it, oh, well, you know, we, we put a thing in the paper <laughs> and asked for people to comment. Yeah, well, you put it in the paper two days before the thing closed. Yeah. We don't all get to read it the second that it comes out into the truck stop. Yeah. We do actually have jobs and, and lives to live. And it's not like we simply have time to trawl through every single media event and Facebook page to find that, oh, someone's seeking information on rest areas, for example, or, you know, Senate inquiries. And look, we were really lucky for the effort that was made to to give us that chance to contribute to the Senate inquiry. But Mm. having done that, where has that gone? So we're certainly going to hold the government to account that something is done from it and and they've said they're going to and none of us will let them uh, off that promise. I'm fairly inclined to be talking to those that I've got the phone numbers of and mm. say, come on, mate, let's go. It's time to do something. Yep. So, look, I'm going to roll the stopping base thing into the rest area thing. We'll leave that for last if you don't mind, Rod. Absolutely. Let's have a bit of a talk briefly about these apprenticeships that are going on up in Queensland now or the work that's been done on that. This is something that we've been asking for for quite some time now, pathways into driving and that. The apprenticeship scheme, mate, what do you think? As you say, there have been a few companies that have sort of done it on their own. Mm. And, mate, I've got to give credit to uh, David Simon at Simon National Carriers. They had a, a thing and they were one of the few at the time that were doing it. And, and I even said to David one day, I said, we all know that they've got a lot of Volvos and that they've got their trucks limited to 90. And yeah. I said, how do you feel about these blokes that come and do your course and then go off and want to drive a big flash Kenworth with 600 horsepower at, at whatever speed? And he said, I would rather train them yep. and have them coming towards my drivers than, than have people who are not trained coming towards them. And I thought, geez, if there was more people in the industry with that attitude, yep. and I'm sure you'd agree, mate, up till now it's been, oh, well, you know, we'll get another driver. He'll just fall out of the sky and <laughs> we'll get some other fool to hang onto the wheel. Because, yeah. of course, that's changing. People aren't doing that. And Look, as an aside, I went to a, a rural road safety event in Dubbo for a sausage sizzle while I was off, and I was talking to a livestock transporter there. And look, the livestock and, and bulk carriers, they've done really good for their members. They're organised. They, they deal with a customer, and it's one thing many of us don't. Like, if you're carting product or manufactured product, you don't deal with the bloke who designed it or built it or made it, mm. and then you don't deal with the end user. We sort of take it in between, but... Livestock is in that deal with a farmer that's growing the cattle and they deal with the abattoir where it goes and that sort of thing. And so they've got that really close personal contact. Mm. But this fellow was saying that there were still those, and, and we talk about COR and how what a marvellous concept it is. Mm. And you note that I'm being specific there about the fact that it's a working concept and not actually delivering what it should. I agree, yep. But he was saying you know, he, he was to the point that he was about to leave the industry, yet another, having done it for many years. And he was still having trouble with cockies who said, you put that on. Well, no, it's going to be too heavy. Well, you put it on or I'll get someone else. Well, good, go and get somebody else. Mm. It's getting to the point even there now where people are coming to recognise they must do the right thing. If not, they'll be held to account. Uh, and, and with that regard to COR, like we, we are still yet to see anybody above driver level really be punished. Well, I agree to a point. There are a few companies now that have been bitten a little bit, but it depends mostly uh, not so much for the on-road events as it's when someone has an injury or an accident or something like that. Mm. There seems to be more of an accounting. And then, as you say, mate, up till now, they've they've been able to find other drivers and Mm. those few that have done it or or just gone and pinched them off somebody else. And 
for the first time in Australia, we're seeing sign-on bonuses. Now, that was big in the States many years ago. Yeah. And it shows that we're struggling to get people into the industry in an apprenticeship scheme that gives qualifications, that gives more than, as we've discussed in the past, mate, simply just enough information to get a licence and get out on the highway Mm. has got to be a good thing as a pathway. It's got to be something we can sell to young people to show it's not just jumping the truck and away you go. And it's got to be something that will give them more than just that bit of paper or just a license and, and let them loose on the highway. And I think it's only been rolled out in Queensland thus far, as far as I'm aware. Mm. Uh, I hope it does extend quickly to the other states. And look, there's been a couple of programs in other states done by VTA and done by the Western Australian Transport Group. So they're good. But we need something that's got the backing of the government that is organised, is national, and will get people involved. Uh, we've only got to look at the debacle that we've had with the licence review with the NTC, mate. It's been a work in progress since 2011. I think if we're waiting for the government to make any steps with respect to apprenticeships, we'll be waiting for a bloody long time. We'll all be blue in the face by the time it happens, mate. Sad but true, I'm afraid, yes. Can we talk about some more interesting stuff, mate? I was trolling around Facebook the other day and I saw Cleary Brothers took a couple of their trucks to uh, a school and they got some kids out there and had them walking around showing them what they couldn't see from sitting in the cab and you know, basically did a bit of education. I think there should be more of that, don't you? Mate, I did it once uh, in the early days back in Tankers at, in mm. Dubbo School. I know Rocky's own yeah. uh, up in this area used to do a lot and it got so popular that they were travelling further and further away and then couldn't couldn't expand it that far. And mm. I did raise this um, at that meeting in Melbourne regarding the National Road Safety Strategy. And one of the things that they were specifically on about was having data. Yeah. So you can't solve a problem if you don't technically know what the problem is or how bad the problem is or how much it's involved. Mm. And I'm sure somebody else did raise about school education, and I know the curriculum is very full. Mm. But once kids have their licence, like we were, mate, we're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. That's right. You can't be told anything. Yep. We're not saying that they've got to do months and months of education, but there's got to be something before they get to that licensing age that explains a little bit about physics and a little bit about trucks and a little bit about responsibility and, and those sorts of things. Mm. Because once they're out there, it's hard to get them back. Yeah. Whereas if we could give them something before they got out there, then maybe they're going to have a little bit more understanding of trucks on the road. Maybe we're going to save some lives. And I don't think it's too hard or too costly to do. And you've only got to look at our videos that we did with White Line Television, mate, mm. you know, the sharing the road with trucks. Yep. There's nine videos that go for a minute each. If we could include that in the licensing process, it doesn't cost anything. They're done. They were funded by NHVR. Mm. So there's no cost to buy them. And all they need is the screen to show them. And I don't think nine minutes for the, the next 60 years on the highway is too much to ask for people to contribute to learn something about sharing the road with trucks. Yeah, well, I agree. I think that there's sort of a fundamental issue, though, that we've come to view our license as being a right rather than a privilege. And we've made it, I suppose, I think in some ways too easy to get a license and then too easy to keep it. And I'm not only talking about people driving cars, I'm talking about right across the board. You've got to do some pretty bad stuff before you get your license taken off you. And I think, as you said, 10 foot tall and bulletproof, and it'll always happen to someone else. It never happens to me. We need to fundamentally change that because once people get their license now, until they have a medical review or something happens in their life, they need to have their license reviewed. That's it. Until you need an aged care review, you know. 
Well, that'd be something I'd be interesting to ask your listeners, mate. Mm. I've had a couple of people complain, particularly in New South Wales, about the difficulty of retaining their MC licence. Yeah, right. Again, individual circumstances apply. It might just be a particular town or a particular instructor. I don't know. Mm. But I've had so many say that we're struggling for drivers. We've got blokes there with 40 and 50 years experience who don't want to do 6,000 kilometres a week up and down the highway, but they want to be able to be involved in emergency services or rescue or mm. can need a truck licence for that or they want to help a mate out who wants them to do a trip. Mm. Yes, you've got to have your medical. That's fine. But the testing for it and the overzealousness, and I know you'd be shocked to hear that word relating to anything involved in the transport industry. Yeah, really? <laughs> but the way that they are going about persecuting, nearly, yeah. it's probably a step too far, but making it so hard to retain a licence and the worst part of it, mate, is most of those people have never driven a truck in their life on the highway and yet they're the ones making those decisions and kicking other people out. I'd certainly love to hear from any of your listeners who have had that because it, I think it's something that we've got to follow up in the longer term as well because they shouldn't be treated that way. I'm happy to talk about that on a personal basis, Rod. You know, about five years ago, I had a heart attack and I've got a couple of stents now. Yep. Now, obviously, I'm over 50, so I've got to have a medical if I want to do BFM. DG, yep. I've got to have the medical for the DGs. Yep. And every year, I've got to go and have a medical now and a review, and my cardiologist has got to sign off on me. I've got to have a test called a stress echo. Yep. For those who don't know, you go and sit down and basically have an ultrasound of your heart and the valves of your heart while you're lying there at a resting stage, and you get on the treadmill or on a bike, get your heart rate going. And I've got to have what they call a negative ECG. So that means I can't have any changes in the waveforms on the ECG. And if anyone wants to know about this, I'm more than happy to explain it. You can give me a ring and I'll explain it to you if you really want to know. But then when you're under stress and you're puffed out and you're breathing like a freight train, yep. you, you lay down and they do another ultrasound of your heart and look at what's happening as far as the way your valves are working, the way your heart's beating and things like that. That then goes to the cardiologist and he says, yep, you're good to go. Mm. So they're making sure that, that you're going to survive on the road, but mm. the comments I'm getting thus far are mm. pedantic little things like your indicator was on for three seconds or not five or you didn't look in the mirror or you crossed the line because there was a cyclist there, which you're allowed to do anyway. Yeah. And tiny little things that they are crueling these blokes for who could be passing that knowledge on to others given that chance. You're talking about guys that have got to go and have a license test now to keep their license as opposed to the, yes. the medical tests to keep their yes. license. Yeah, I'm sorry, I misunderstood. But you do have to do both, as you say. Like, you know, you've still got to do your medical and, and that's fine. Yeah. But this is more just overzealous enforcement of tiny little things that have very little to do with road safety and here we are on another hobby horse. Yeah. But yeah, it's treatment and I've had it from two or three blokes and I'd just be interested to see if others have suffered the same thing. Yeah, right. Well, if anyone's got anything to say about that, please give me a ring and we'll we'll have a bit of a chat about it. There's a lot of ground there we can cover, I suppose. Mm. What we'll do now is we'll just slip off for a quick break and we'll come back and talk about some other happier stuff, all right? Ten for good, buddy. <laughs> There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets. 
with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Hello, we're back with Ron Hannafy. Mate, let's get on to the last one and we'll talk about stopping bays and rest areas and what we're hoping to see come from the $80 million or so that has been promised by the federal government. Obviously, we've got no idea yet. The chair hasn't been named yet. The advisory committee hasn't been named yet. And I said the other week, I'd be surprised if you weren't on it. Mate, if you get a Guernsey there, tell me what you're thinking. But let's deal with the the, uh, stopping bay issue first that you wanted to bring up. Well, mate, having travelled out west of Mackay last week, you go to Peak Downs Highway, Mm. every stopping bay was at the bottom of the hill. Yeah. Now, you know, they're running road trains and A-doubles and big accommodations out there and think, yeah, well, geez, no, that's, that's not really clever. I've come up the Pacific Highway yesterday and, mate, when they first opened the Pacific to B-doubles, I complained that the stopping bays all had great big black skid marks in them because there was no warning signs of the stopping bay ahead. Yeah. And yet I specifically took note yesterday and there's a number of them round corners. Yeah. Now, whoever designed them, like, it's not like, you know, you only have one little piece of straight road in 50 kilometres of curves. There's plenty of opportunity to put it in the right place. And someone's obviously looked at a map and gone, X marks the spot, that's where it's going. But no one's gone and looked to see where it is. And there's quite a number where if you pulled into that stopping bay, and yes, there is a warning sign before to tell you it's there, but there's no flashing lights to tell you somebody's in there pulling out. Mm. And you pulled out of one of those bays in a fully loaded semi, let alone a B-double, you're pulling out onto the highway doing, what, four and five kilometres an hour, taking a few hundred metres to get up to anywhere near highway speed, and two trucks come around the corner side by side at 100 kilometres an hour with nowhere to go. Stopping bays are meant to be a road safety initiative to give you somewhere to stop. Now, if you're in a car... Most of the time, you can pull up on the shoulder reasonably safely. And if you've got half a brain, mm-hmm. you'd put a wheel off on the grass so you were well off the road. And we all know that some car drivers think that that white fog line is a six-foot-wide brick wall and they can just park half an inch off it and be all good. That's right. Yeah. But, mate, the money that's gone into these stopping bays and the fact that they are not fit for purpose, that they're in the wrong place, they're not big enough, they don't allow for trucks to use them and look, you might be tired, mate. You might need a pee and you want to pull off the road. And I come up the Bruce Highway last night. There's that much road works going. I can't see any of them with provision for stopping bays. You come north out of Childers, there's bugger all places to stop anywhere. Yeah. And yet they cry about fatigue. And we've argued this towards these rest areas. Mate, why would you stop at the bottom of the hill? You're going to think, well, geez, you know, I'm going to get a go on. It feels so dear and I've got to get away. It's not a bad spot. And everyone's going to be on the jakes. And, mm. you know, I don't think it's that hard. I think it's been an oversight and that leads back to where we started, mate. We don't get consulted. We are not considered. Mm. And I honestly think as part of this rest area work, and I have written to Arb and I've raised this. I said, is there a national standard? Is there a set of design rules for where and and what size stopping bays are? No one can answer that question. So I want that included in this rest area work because that money 
and they're stopping bays in a lot of places. Mm. And the signs are probably worth more than, than what we normally get, you know, a bit of dirt and a rubbish bin if we're really lucky. So if we could consolidate that, get them done properly with the rest areas, it's not just simply building new rest areas. It's using things like stockpile sites. Yep. Because we could double the number of truck parking bays tomorrow if we could make sure the stockpile sites were suitable and tiny little bit of work to tidy them up. Now, they only get used for three months every year, three years, even if we put green reflectors on them and then they cover those when they want to use them to do the reseal there. Mm. We'd, we'd probably have to ask our blokes to be respectful of those sites. I don't think that's too much to ask. If you need to have a pee, we'll just walk over to the scrub. Don't pee in the middle of their dirt. Mm. You know, they've all got good shade. Most of them have got more shade than any rest area that we have. Mm. And then... Yes, there's the green reflector thing, a good interim measure, but then we must ask drivers. And if we don't ask drivers, we will fail to provide what's needed. And look, I have no problem saying this to you or to anybody else. Mm. Anybody that works for any association, whether it's the ATA, the VTA, any of the others, mate, we talked about them having genuine intent, but none of them live on the highway And if they are the only people consulted in this, we'll have let down the drivers, and I will not let that happen. Neither will I, mate. I've set it up and down. I will scream very, very bloody loudly if things don't go the way that we've been promised that they're going to go and the drivers get properly consulted this time. The biggest, I suppose, complaint that I've heard people making at the moment, they're saying all this money is going to be spent on consultants and environmental studies and things like that. I hope that that doesn't happen. Obviously, maybe some of it will need to be. But if we're looking at, as you say, stockpile sites and improving areas that already exist, I can't see that there would be a lot of need for that sort of environmental impact study or anything like that. No, there may be something, as you say. And the other thing, mate, is parking in the cities. Mm -hmm. Anybody that goes to Heathwood in Brisbane knows that there are signs up there that say no car parking at night. It's an industrial area. There's no houses there. I've heard from someone that there's an area in Cairns marked truck zone. Mm. And I did see one yesterday. The fact is you wouldn't even be able to get a prime mover parked in one truck zone sign. I did see somewhere the other day. So the thought's there, but the delivery wasn't. Yeah. But, you know, it won't cost a lot of money to have the law reviewed so that in an industrial area in Sydney, for example, that as long as you're gone by six or seven in the morning when business is open and as long as there's no houses or something there, Mm. why can we not park there legally and safely? Because the land values, no one's going to go and buy a 10-hectare truck park and bay in Sydney because it costs you $100 a night to stay there, and that's not going to happen. So we have to have some of those things. It's not just the rest areas, it's the stuff behind it, and some of that stuff behind it may well be of more value but cost even less, but without that focus, and that's where I push for this national rest area strategy, mate. I honestly believe there should not be allowed to be any roadworks of more than 20 kilometres whether it's a a realignment or a new road or whatever it is, that is not done without consultation with someone in the trucking industry and either a guarantee we don't go backwards with any rest areas that might be there, Mm. but an absolute guarantee that something will be done to include them. You've only got to look at old bits of road coming up the Bruce Highway and, and other places where we could have had sufficient parking bays and actually saved the authorities money instead of tearing it up yeah. and where they've done it. And 
Look, I, I spoke to someone the other day and he was saying there's some old bits of road and maybe we could get some bridges and culverts put back in and I've convinced him that that's not the best use of the money. Surely there's enough road there where we don't need to put them back in because that's why they tore them up in the first place. They weren't working properly mm. and that's why the road's been realigned or the flood mitigation's been improved. Mm. But some of those things don't cost a lot but will provide something for us and they've got to be pursued as well. It's not just about we need one new rest area at Clybucker or one here or there. Mm. It's all of that other stuff together. Just getting on to Clybucker, we have the two major changeover areas, one at Nil, of course, and one at Tarkata. We also know that the boys like to use aeroplane a bit to do their changeovers there. Now, I did mention to you briefly earlier on, and I've sort of said out loud a couple of times, I had a listener I was talking to, and he sort of basically said to me, why can't the majors sort of contribute to the maintenance of these things? Because after all, their drivers are the ones that are using them. Like, I'm certainly not going to stop a tar cutter for a long break. I don't know about you, but I'm not a masochist. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I can live quite happily without listening to the beeping and reversing buzzers, the slamming of bloody turntables and the screaming when it all goes sideways, as it sometimes does in that park and boat tar cutter anyway. Mm. The facilities and that that exist at both tar cutter and nil are maintained by, I believe, the local councils in both places. I mean, really speaking, all we bring there as an industry to Tarkata and Nil of a night time, I mean, the Caldex at Nil doesn't even go 24 hours a day anymore. We're bringing Jake breaks and that like four o'clock in the morning. Surely it's not too much to ask that the majors contribute to the maintenance of these things. Yeah, look, again, if the industry had been consulted when they were building Tarkata and we waited 30 years for it, and it's certainly better than what we had before, yeah. I think it would have been a different outlay. And, and mate, the first time I drove in there in a B-double, I thought, Jesus, who designed this? Obviously not a truck driver. Mm. I'm surprised there haven't been more runaway there, mate. And, and you know, why would you build it on such a slope when that's the intent, that you're going to change 150 trailers a night? Mm. I asked RMS when they first started the Pacific, and, and I think that they are at fault there in not considering and including that. I agree. And see, there's another avenue straight away there, mate. Now, I've already had complaints from people that, you know, the survey there at Kempsey's chock-a-block full, you can't get a park, and now, of course, the Kempsey Council, and, and as you say, they have a role to play. They've decided to help fix the problem by putting up no standing signs all the way around the survey. That's right, yep. Now, that fixes it really well, but, you know, there is another avenue that in that sort of thing, and we're looking at this this funding, we don't need to rebuild a brand new truck stop 50 metres down the road from a service station. Mm. What we need is to buy the land beside it and use the facilities that are already there. Now, that was done at Miriam Vale up here. Yeah. It's been done in Darwin really well. Mm. The BP and, and the Department of Transport in the Territory got together and said, we need to do this, we need to do it right. They consulted people, and that's a marvellous facility. You know that when you build a bit of road, it's cost you $500,000 for a deceleration lane and 500000 for an acceleration lane, and mm. then the toilets. Well, the surveys have all of that in place. All we want is the parking adjacent so we can use those facilities. And then, of course, you look at the other side, mate, look at the BP at Wallen. Yeah. Christmas, Easter, any other time, you barely get a park in there to access those facilities. Yeah, can't get in the joint. And yet when they allowed them to be built, they shut down truck stops where old mate had his caravan and looked after truckies really well, and we didn't get a say in that one either. No, well, there are a number of things that happen. As you say, you, know, you look at the, uh, the rest areas like the Partridge Rest Area, southbound out of Sydney, you, mm. you can't get in the joint on a long weekend. Just forget it. Yeah. Pheasant's Nest is another example of that. 
the issues that we have, you were talking about truck parking in the metropolitan areas before. There's a truck parking, designated truck parking in Smeaton Grange, for example. And that's great if you go into the Coles DC in Smeaton Grange. No good at all if you go into Botany. Yeah. You know? Yeah, or the markets or whatever it might be, eh? And I mean, the issues that we've got as far as the traffic goes, everyone's carrying on about fatigue. When is it smarter to run your truck through the city? At night. Yep. Go and do the business at night, not at 7 o'clock in the morning on the M5 going through the tunnel. Mm. And if you want to go down to Botany and you're on your electronic logbook, that's the business. You can't get near Uncle Leo's. Yep. Eastern Creek. You can't get into Eastern Creek. The Southern Cross truck terminal at Chipping Norton is no longer a truck. Ray Ray's Cafe is closed there. I was in there the other day. Oh, right. So Ray Ray's is closed. Yep. You can't even get a bloody shower in the joint anymore. All of these facilities that we once used to have and we used to use, just in the Sydney area alone, because that's the one I'm most familiar with, it's just impossible. Well, in the days of tankers, mate, we used to be able to park down at Botany. Now, they've blokes challenged and woken up yep. and kicked out of yep. there. Yep, yep, yep. And they want us to deliver their product. They want us to make them money yes. by delivering their product so they can sell it. Yep. And yet we're not considered at either end. And Again, I know that some of our blokes can be pretty frustrated and cynical and they have in in some ways every right to be, Mm. but we have to do it the right way. We have an opportunity with this funding to push for that national strategy as well, to include those other things in it. Mm. And I think there is a real chance that we can find a way to add on to some of those sites and get really good value for money rather than go and build some great big flash Taj Mahal when you're only going to get one built mm. and everybody else then misses out. And look, I'll be straight up with you too, mate. I, I did mention to Glenn Stirl when we spoke of this at one stage about the green reflectors and he was he's saying, look, that's a separate thing. We, we, we'll get some funding elsewhere for that. Mm. But as an interim measure, if we could go out and do some of that where it was needed, we could have some change done within three months If we could do something about those laws, yeah, that's not quite as easy. And if we could look into, you know, joint venture type things in six months, we can get a little bit more done. Mm. If we can do something with the stockpile sites in six months, Mm. and we won't have spent bugger all of that money, but we'll have made the biggest change in helping truck drivers manage their fatigue. And look, I had a discussion with someone the other day. In one way, what we talk about is not really the thing. What we are looking for and then back me up if you agree, Mm. is an opportunity for sleep. Now, a rest area, like you say, at at the changeover pads at Tarkata, are you going to get good sleep there? No. Not really likely. No. If you pull up in a stopping bay on the side of the Bruce Highway, a foot away from traffic doing 100 kilometres an hour, one, you're scared they're going to run into you. Mm. Two, they're going to rock the truck sideways, you know, a foot each time they go past. So are you getting good, good sleep? No. No, well, I wouldn't be comfortable doing that. <laughs> but when there's nowhere else, yeah. what do you do? And look, we know of instances where people have been hit in those sites. So yeah, well, that's, that's got to be fixed. And if we want to stop fatigued drivers being on the road, we have to provide them with not just a rest area, but an opportunity for sleep. And that means it's got to be designed so the fridges can go to one end, so the stock crates can move away, so that you're not six inches either side of you as another bloke with a fridge van or a stock crate or Mm. a bloke is having a 15-minute break slamming the door every 15 minutes while you try and get that good sleep. Yeah, that's hard. It's a a very complicated algorithm, I think. It is, but we're the only ones that suffer from it, mate, and that's where we have to have more say in things that affect us on the road. Yeah. 
I don't think there's been enough of it till now. And look, National Road Freighters has been trying for years. Yes, I'll give credit to some of those state associations. They certainly do their part, Mm. but they don't live in trucks. They don't sleep in them. Mm. They don't get the fines and penalties. So are they the ones likely to go the hardest to get things improved? Well, I don't think that they will, but let's not be too critical, I suppose. I live in hope that when this review gets underway that we're talking about for the rest areas, when whoever's going to chair it gets named, and I God, I hope it's Glenn Steele, I really do. Yep. And I hope you're on the thing, mate, I really do. And yeah, I certainly put my hand up to be on it. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens, I suppose. But at the end of the day, we have to have a say, you're 100% correct. Mate, and those who have already said, oh, it'll never happen or nothing will change, no, it's for happy. goodness sake, give them a fair go. Yeah. They've only been in government a bit. We've got the money through. The money did get put through in the budget. Yep. The biggest ever in my time on the road for such a thing. Mm. Just give us a chance to get it right. Give them a chance to set it up because it won't happen overnight. Mm. We waited 20 years. If we wait one year and get it right, I don't think that's too much to ask. Do you, mate? No, neither do I. I think it's going to be great. Actually, I was talking to Stella the other day, and it's more like $140 million when you add all of the program's commitments to rest areas and roadworks that are surrounding rest areas. It's, it's more like $140 million. Well, in that vein, like we've had the National Heavy Vehicle Safety Strategy funding, mm. and the NHVR has overseen that, and there's been some good programs come out of that. I'd certainly hope that they don't then turn around and say, oh, well, now that you've got this rest area funding, that well, we don't have to fund any rest areas and that's not a part of it. And then there'll be a lot of truckies like you and me and others, I'd say, jumping up and down and say, Nick, off, you're not having any of ours. <laughs> I reckon they might get me to bark if they did that, mate. <laughs> yes, yes. All right, Rod, it's time to wrap it up, mate. We've gone way over time. It's great to catch up, and look, I'm looking forward to seeing you down the track, mate. I'll be up in Rocky about Wednesday, Thursday. I might catch up with you somewhere. Oh, well, I'm loading out of Rocky on Thursday, mate, so keep an ear out. We'll have to have a coffee somewhere. Good on you, mate. Take care. Drive safe, all right? Safe travelling to all out there, mate. Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On the Road podcast every week on the Australian Big Rigs Road Show. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there, and in the meantime, take care of you. Copy there, Andy. Gotcha go. Better throw out those anchors, buddy. The traffic's at a standstill up here. I reckon some clown's got himself stuck under the Dunlop Terrace Railway Bridge again. Again? Maybe he was delivering a bridge and ran out of diesel. Yeah, no, it's no joke, really. According to Queensland Rail, there's been 65 bridge strikes and around 280 of those protection beams hit on the Queensland Rail network in the last financial year. With the fines around 11 and a half grand, you'd think drivers would make a point of knowing the height of their truck. The fines are one thing. More to the point, these people are risking their lives and putting others in danger. Yeah, roger that. Maybe Queensland Rail should do some kind of educational advertising to warn drivers about the danger of bridge strikes. They are, mate. Why do you think we're recording this? <laughs> oh, yeah. They're smart people at Queensland, right? Yeah, good looking too, just like us. <laughs> this safety message is brought to you by Queensland Rail as a reminder to us all that size matters. Know your trucking height. Our Aussie music guest this week has been around the industry for quite a long time. 
For a number of years, he's been the go-to hired gun bass player, working here in Australia and internationally with rock royalty like the Baby Animals, Richard Clapton, Angry Anderson, Rose Tattoo and Shannon Knoll. Creativity is at the core of his being, and in reality, he didn't choose music, it essentially chose him. He made a life-changing move from the Baby Animals to work alongside country legend Adam Brand, and it was Brand who recognised the storytelling in his songwriting and the clear reality that he was more than just a singing bass player. For this Gold Coast-based artist, it was after a long walk in a park in Mullaney and a very open conversation with his manager Ian Dicko Dixon that he rekindled the confidence and belief he needed to refocus on his solo career. He's quoted as saying, Music is in my DNA. I've truly never wanted to do anything else. I make music because I have to, not because I want to. I'm obsessed with it. For me to be able to connect with an audience, whether they're listening on a streaming platform, CD, or they come to a live show, that is the reason I do it. Apart from my love of performing in front of a crowd, it's a spiritual thing for me and it's something that my mind and my soul yearns for. To talk about his career and his new music, I'd like you to meet Mr. Matt Cornell. G'day, Matt. Thanks for coming in for a chat today. Uh, Andy, mate, thanks for having me, mate. Now, I've read that you have an obsession with 80s music, the bass guitar, and Sting. <laughs> I trust that it's in a musical sense, your obsession with Sting. You're not actually stalking the guy. <laughs> no, there's no stalking, although we did have a famous song about that, obviously, with every breath you take. Yeah. I think it's just depending on what year you were born and what era you grew up in, but I'm a little biased, but I do think the 80s was a pretty incredible era for music. Mm. So much incredible music at that time that is timeless, and you've only got to flick around a bunch of FM stations throughout the day, and you're going to hear 80 songs. You're going to hear some of those iconic hits. For sure. Yeah, the fashion was a bit, you know, questionable, but <laughs> the music was undeniable, mate. So, yeah, the, the 80s just got me, mate. I grew up in a music family, so I was around music anyway, but it was just because of my age coming through that particular era. Yeah. Just gave me a complete obsession with 80s music. Absolutely. And with someone like Sting as a singing bass player, it's just a natural thing, isn't it? You're going to enjoy his stuff. Well, yeah. And, and look, playing bass and being a front man, it, it's not as common because it's actually a bit harder to play bass and sing. Yeah. You're sort of playing polyrhythms and you're sort of locking in with the kick drum. Yeah. With guitar, you can strum while you're, you're singing. Yep. But yeah, bass guitar is quite unique, and that's why you don't see a lot of frontmen playing bass. I mean, the most famous would be Paul McCartney and Sting. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of women playing bass, you think of Susie Quattro. Yep. And a rock icon that I loved was Phil Liner from Thin Lizzy. Oh, for sure. Through the 80s and into the 90s, I was into the police, so I used to practice singing the police songs and playing the bass. Yep. And also, there was a band from the UK called Level 42, who I was obsessed with. Love them. So you're, you're familiar, right? Running in the Family, one of my favourite albums. Oh, man. Mate, great album. And I was obsessed. And like a lot of kids, when they first pick up the bass guitar, they want to learn how to slap, you know? And, and Flea was obviously a big influence to a lot of kids. Sure. But for me, when I discovered Level 42, I, I just got obsessed with their music. And Mark King was the front man, bass player, incredible bass player. Yep. And so... I was learning all the Level 42 stuff when I was 14 and 15, not knowing what sort of skill set I was doing at the time. I was just a kid just playing instrument and playing songs I liked. Yeah. But it put me in good stead for, you know, many, many years down the track. Yeah. I'm here to tell everyone that, you know, a lot of people make jokes about bass players being failed guitarists, but I can tell you what, <laughs> to find a real dedicated bass player 
is not easy. They're a rare beast. It's like anything. I played a couple of different instruments before I discovered the bass. But when I discovered the bass, there's something really special about it. Yeah. I was completely obsessed with it. I used to drive my family nuts. I'd literally be sitting at the dinner table with my bass and my mum would be like, go and put that bloody thing down <laughs> and eat your dinner. Yeah. You mentioned before about the failed guitar player. The amount of people that have said to me, oh, you play bass, it's got to be easier than guitar, right? Because it's only got four strings. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a few stigmas attached to bass players, I think. I've always believed you take the bass out of a band and the heart and soul goes out of it. You can take any other instrument out and you can still make it work, but take the bass out and it's gone. Yeah. There seems to be a growing number of mainstream musicians these days that are making the crossover into country music. Yep. And when you look at the spirit of country music these days, there's such a positive and joyous feel to it. It's not surprising that people are moving that way. Now, I was listening this morning to Adam Brand and the Outlaws, brilliant version of the old Queen classic, Fat Bottom Girls. Yep. Man, you must just have so much fun working in that band. The Outlaws, when Adam first told me about it, he said, look, I've got this idea, the Outlaws. And when he said the guys in the band, like, Mike Carr's one of my best mates. Mm. I've toured with Trav a lot, and Drew McCallis is one of my best mates, and Adam is one of my closest friends in the world. So yeah. for us to do a project when there was five guys that genuinely get on well with each other and like each other's company, yep. mate, that was a really good time. Yeah, good stuff. Now, as a bass player, you've held down the bottom end for the likes of the Baby Animals, Richard Clapton, Rose Tattoo, and a heap of other well-known Aussie acts. How hard was it to step away from that comfort zone and go full bore into a solo career again? I think it, when it first happened, I was too busy to really think about it. But I played with Shannon Noel for many, many years, about eight years I was in his band. But I was releasing music at the time. And then when I'd met Adam, I'd already put out two records. But I hadn't fully gone in head first and gave it everything. I was just sort of dipping my toe in the water, so to speak, as an artist. My living at the time was being a hired gun playing for all these big bands. Yeah. I had an incredible time traveling the world, you know, playing music with some great acts. Yep. But there was always that desire in me to be an artist in my own right and the love of songwriting, all that sort of stuff. But when I was doing the Baby Animals, I got a call to do a tour with Adam Brand and I knew who he was. And I did that first tour with him, thinking that it was just going to be a tour. But we got on great, and then I got asked to do another tour with him, and then I left the Baby Animals, and then it was Adam that said to me, he said, mate, you're writing country songs. I'll listen to you to records. You're writing country songs. This is where you need to be. I really think you should give this a crack. So yeah. he was the one that opened the door and said, you really need to be doing this. So we had some big chats in 2013, and then I said, all right, well, I'm going to do my first country release. Yeah. Matt, you've just released your new single and video for the song Stick Around, great song, which we'll play shortly. What's the story behind the song? Mate, I'm working with a new producer, Jared Adlam. Uh, he's a Kiwi living here in Queensland and another young fella, Tim Aiken, to write. Mm -hmm. And my manager, Dicko, him and I had a, a big sort of heartfelt chat over Christmas and we discussed where, where I need to be for this next release because it had been five years since I'd released anything. Yep. And talking about all the rock stuff before, it was Dicko that said, mate, I think you need to embrace your past. And if we can have that perfect world of sort of rock meets country, yep. that's where you need to be. And so when we got together to write, I just sort of discussed with the boys, this is where I want to be as an artist. I want to have that rock element, but also be that storyteller. Yeah. And so I had the brief before we, we wrote Stick Around, how I wanted it to sort of feel. And then I was just talking about my life and, and I just sort of said, look, I'm single. But I'm at that stage in my life where I'm very settled and content and I really want to settle down and start a family. 
And so that was all in the forefront of our mind when we sort of started to write Stick Around. Yeah. There's been a gazillion love songs written out there. And so, yes, this is a love song, but it's almost like I'm manifesting through a song, like the guy that I'm singing about in the song, I'd like it to be me. I'd like to settle down and start a family and whatnot. So yeah. it starts off, you know, the guy's got a broken heart and he's sitting in a bar, the girl walks in and the rest is history. So yeah. it sounds like the story that you've heard a million times, but we've told it our way. And we're really proud of it. And already since it's come out, we've had some success. So yeah. it feels good to get that feedback from people that are really connecting with the song. For sure. So where to from here, mate? Obviously, there'll be more writing, more recording, but touring plans and all that. It sounds a bit like a job interview if I ask the question, where do you see yourself in five years' time? <laughs> what can we expect from Matt Cornell moving forward? You know, I just want to re-establish myself. There seems to be like this little... I'm not going to say stigma, it's probably the wrong word, but I, I noticed some people out there, like when I've spoken to them, you know, they, they refer to me as Adam Brand's bass player. And I'm like, yeah, I am Adam Brand's bass player. And I love working with Adam as he side me, but I'm an artist. Yeah. I want people to know that I'm out there as an artist working really, really hard to establish myself and to be taken seriously. And moving forward, Andy, I just want to work really hard, mate. And I'm writing constantly. I've got something big happening in February that I can't tell you about at the moment, but we're working towards something that's happening in Feb, which could be really, really special. Wow. But next year, I think the model of releasing a couple of songs and then an album, it's changed. If you speak to a lot of artists, it's about releasing songs. Yep. It's about now just putting out singles every few months. And on the back of that, building up your listenership on your Spotify and, yep. and trying to just being out there with music constantly every few months, going out to your listener base and just growing your fan base. My goal next year, mate, is to probably release three or four singles next year mm -hmm. and try and get back on the main stages on the festivals and obviously do a bunch of shows. So, yeah, we've, we've got some big plans for next year, mate. Brilliant. Well, look, there's obviously way more to the Matt Cornell story than we can do justice to here today. So if our listeners would like to get to know you better, and I'm sure they will, where can they go to find your story and any info on upcoming performances, new material, stuff like that? Mate, my website's about to be pulled down and it's getting a rebuild. So th that'll be back up in about four to five weeks. But I'm very active on my social media. Yep. My Facebook is my biggest platform, sure. but I'm also on Instagram. But all my handles are just Matt Cornell Music. And yeah, they can get in touch with me, see the, the content that I put up. And of course, if they want to hear my music, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, all the usual platforms, mate. They'll be able to find my music online. Right, all the usual suspects. Just before I go, mate, I've got to just mention, I told you off air, there's one story I wanted to tell you. Oh, yeah. I know a lot of your listeners are out there, the truck drivers that are keeping the country moving. I was touring with Adam, Brian, we were, for memory, I'm going to say Western Australia, I think it was, I can't quite remember. Mm. And we're driving back to our accommodation and we pulled into a truck stop and it was like one of those all-night sort of cafe places. And we've gone in. And as we've gotten out of the car, there was this truck parked there. <laughs> and I forget what song was playing. But as we've gotten out, we can hear this truck driver playing Adam Grant through his truck really, really loud. Yeah. And so Adam just walked over to this guy's truck. And he just sort of knocked on the door. And old mate just sort of looked down. And he could not believe it that Adam was standing there. Yeah. And it was so funny. This guy went out again. I can't believe Adam Grant, brother. Anyway, we got a photo with him and he was the coolest guy. I mean, we chatted with him for about 30 odd minutes, but the look on his face, mate, when Adam knocked on his door, it was priceless, mate. So yeah, that was a really cool thing. Oh, uh, mate, all these Christmases come at once. 
I thought you were going to say that Adam walked over and knocked on the door and asked him to turn it down. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been great, actually. Yeah, particularly if the driver had said, yeah, no, nick off, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it was very cool. Great story, love it. Our guest today has been Matt Cornell. Mate, I really appreciate you sparing us a few minutes of your time and coming out to play on the road with us. Thanks for that. Mate, thank you so much. We'd really love to play your new single right now. Would you please introduce it for us? I absolutely would. My name's Matt Cornell, and this is my brand new single, Stick Around. Cheers, Matt. Take care. Thanks for having me, Andy. See you later, mate. A heart that's just been broken And my side set on love Left myself wide open And now I'm drowning in cheap whiskey At the bar and the dress right in front of me And if it wasn't for the liquor It sounds funny but it's true So if love is a highway With you right beside me And I'm Tanya Kernigan. And you're listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy. 
something to talk about is brought to you by Only Trucks and Credit One. Buying your next truck has never been so easy. Go to onlytrucks.com.au. I've been looking around the internet as I usually do, and I see the Americans are now talking about speed limiting their trucks. I was on a podcast there called Back the Truck Up with some guys, and I did advise them to do anything and everything that they can to nip this bit of stupidity in the bud. Now, it may go against popular opinion, but I don't agree with speed limiting trucks at all. There's no logic behind it, in my opinion, and there's certainly no great safety benefit to it, in my opinion. It's just something that's been done in a way for the lawmakers to say, oh, look, these truck guys are, are all bad, they're all breaking the law, we'll do something to slow them down. Simple fact is, as far as I'm aware, the majority of really serious truck accidents where people are killed and there's lots of damage done don't happen at highway speed on the highway. They happen in country roads where you're not doing the speed limit. They happen at roundabouts where you're not doing the speed limit. They happen where someone pulls out in front of a truck in the metropolitan area and gets T-boned, that sort of thing. Now, look, I'm not going to say to you for one moment that trucks don't go ass overhead at 100 kilometres an hour, because they certainly do. There's enough new parking areas in the middle of the Hume Highway that are created every night of the week to let you know that 100 kilometres an hour, (laughs) you can go off the road. I often think, though, that the reason why people are running off the road at 100 kilometres an hour on the UM Highway is because the bloody highway is boring. <laughs> it's not what it used to be. In our effort to make things safer, we've actually created other problems. Look, I don't want to get off on that tangent. Here's my issue with the speed limiting laws as they are at the moment. They don't stop you from going over the speed limit at 100 kilometres an hour going down a hill. We all know that once you let them go, if you let them go, they'll go. They don't stop you doing more than 80 or 90 or whatever in a speed zone. Don't slow you down to 40 in a school zone. That is on the driver. That is his responsibility or her responsibility to do the speed limit that's posted. It's the same for 100 kilometres an hour. The other thing about this too, there are a lot of speed limits now with roads 110 kilometres an hour. The trucks are not the same as they used to be. They're not vacuum brakes anymore. We're not driving R190 internationals anymore. We're driving modern pieces of equipment that stop and handle extremely well. And I don't see any reason why we shouldn't be doing 110 personally. In some states in America now, they're allowed to do 121, 70 miles an hour. I don't see any reason why we can't be doing that. I really don't. Obviously, you know, you burn a bit more diesel. But on the roads that are built for it, why can't we do it? Now, I'm not saying that we should be allowed to drive quad road trains at 110 kilometres an hour. I'm not saying that to you. What I'm saying is that there should be some sensible review of what's going on. There should be some sensible review about the speeds we're allowed to drive at. And it would be nice to be able to just do that extra five kilometres an hour or so just to get past that caravan on the three-laner. How often do we get stuck behind that bloke who wants to do 95 and we can't get around because we've just got nothing left? I actually believe that speed limiters have made driving trucks more dangerous, not safer. As I said, it doesn't make any difference at speed limits under 100 kilometres an hour. Whether you do the right thing there or not is on the driver. And while we're at it, we'll let P-platers drive cars that aren't speed limited, and we trust them to do the speed limit. We know that many of them sometimes don't, but we trust them to do it. They can do 100 kilometres an hour. 
The reality of it is is that if they want to, their car's not speed limited. They can do whatever they like. We trust a P-plater with no experience to do the right thing behind the wheel, but we won't trust a professional with hundreds of thousands of kilometres of experience to do the right thing behind the wheel. There are fines out there. There are punishments. You don't get away with it. If you get caught doing the wrong thing, you're going to get a fine. I don't know. Can we revisit the speed limiter idea? What do you think? You know how to get a hold of me. 0418722488. Mike at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take it easy. Stay safe out there. We'll see you on the road. Copy there, Andy. Yeah, got you go. you got to love that big brekkie at the roadhouse. Oh, you're not wrong. It's a great feed. Hey, was that Davo's truck that came in spluttering and coughing like an old tractor? Yeah, mate. I think it's about time you upgraded the old girl. Yeah, roger that. Though it's a bit of a nightmare shopping for a new rig. Doesn't have to be, mate. Found this place called Only Trucks. An online one-stop shop for buying and selling trucks. Of all the best makes and models, it's associated with Credit One. Organise the finance for you. You can deal with the sellers direct through the website. Cut out the middleman. Save time and money. Sounds like the way to go. Where do I find them? Too easy, mate. Go to onlytrucks.com.au and it's all laid out there for you. You should send Dave a text and tell him to go to Only Trucks and get a new rig. Might just buy you a beer or three. Dave, he wouldn't shout if he was bit by a shark, mate. <laughs> Upgrading your truck has never been so easy. Go to onlytrucks.com.au. Line number one, you're supposed to have it all together And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them, never better We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, g'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. Hey, it's Blake Dandier here and you're listening to On The Road with Mike and Andy. On The Road News is brought to you by Big Rigs, Australia's national road transport newspaper. Hey, Mike, where you at, brother? Mate, I'm sitting at the back of the roadhouse in beautiful Calliope. Calliope, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm heading up towards Rocky, mate. Just get up here and see how the other half lives. They're beautiful one day, perfect the next. Mate, I'll tell you what, it's not a bad day up here today. Mm. Uh, apart from the Bruce Highway, mate, with the roadworks. My <laughs> God. Yeah. Why can't they just finish one bit and move on to the next bit? Do they just feel as though they've got to dig up? And it wouldn't be so bad if they lined it all up, you know, but oh, stop, start. It's been crazy. But anyway, that's trucking. Half the time, there's all the signs up, slow down, 80 kilometres an hour, road works, and there's never anyone there. That's right. Well, we wouldn't want to wake them up, would we? <laughs> <laughs> I think we've done that, Joe, haven't we? I think we have. Hey, mate, you and Rod Hannafy were talking earlier about the better education for new drivers. Mm. And it got me thinking about, and it's a good story too. 
And it got me thinking about how there's been such a big kerfuffle about people texting and talking on their phones while they're driving. Yep. I was out the other day on the M1 heading south. Sure enough, 100 kilometres an hour there in the next lane beside me is this woman madly two-handed texting away and holding the steering wheel with the knees. Right. Mate, I was furious. Just throw your beer at her? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I shouldn't have done that. I still had about half the candy there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That's it, buddy. You're going to get a ticket now. Yeah, for sure. Mate, the Victorian Transport Association recently held its annual general meeting and have announced the re-election of both its president and vice president in their respective roles. Yeah, and it's not a surprise, really. They haven't done too bad a job. I haven't had occasion to bag any of them, have I? Oh, well, there's plenty of time yet. <laughs> Are they still young, you reckon? Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear, oh, dear. The VTA has continued to advocate for the state and federal leadership to support freight operators and improvements to legislation and things like that. Look, overall, like all the state bodies, they sort of do a pretty reasonable job. I mean, they represent their constituents and they do a good job of that. Hmm. I'd just like to see a little bit more consistency from them and perhaps a little bit more interest in the guys at the coalface that are doing the job. But congratulations to the blokes that have been re-elected and hopefully they'll continue to do a good job into the future. Yes, well done, gentlemen. Well done. Now, Mike, you've got an update on some of the major tracking events coming up over the coming months. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a bit going on, right? Mm. Go to bigrigs.com.au and you'll see the story there, more event dates for your diary. There is so much coming up. You've got the Convoy for Kids at Goulburn. You've got the Dane Ballager Memorial Show on November the 19th. There's the Illawarra Truck Convoy on November 20th. Come down and see me there because I'm going to have some caps and some pens and stuff like that, and I'll be doing a bit of taking it to the streets down there as well. Cool. I don't know if I'm putting my truck in the convoy yet, simply because if you see the state of it, it would, might take me a week just to detail it to get it down there. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, mate, I tell you what, with all the water and the mud and stuff, but oh, anyway, yeah. that's, like, that's my excuse, right? Yep. And everyone's got their excuse, so that's mine. Oh, I'd stick with it. I'll stick with it. Castle Main Rotary Truck Show, uh, November 26, 27. And look, the list just goes on and on and on and on. Go to bigrigs.com.au, find the story and have a look for yourself and attend the things that are close to you. Take the family, take the kids, buy them an ice cream and share what we do with the world. It's great stuff. Yeah. I remember, it really wasn't that long ago we were sitting here wondering if we'd ever see any of these shows and things again. That's right. COVID really did put a bit of a pox on the whole thing, and mm. um, we were missing out there big time. And look, to get out there now and, and see some of this stuff going on, you're mad if you don't participate in it while we can. Yeah, back bigger and better than ever. Roger that. An ex-truckie based in Toowoomba has issued some good advice for drivers who are currently being detoured through Toowoomba City while a section of the eastbound bypass lane is closed for repairs. Yeah, and look, this looks like it's going to be closed for quite some time. The works are going to be going for some time. What have they declared it part of the Bruce Highway now, have they? I think they have, mate. <laughs> Maybe they've renamed it. Yeah, lower Bruce. <laughs> uh, there's been a little bit of talk about this. The NHVR have been waiting for people to go past and obviously not use the correct bypass and there's some guys going down there with some oversized things. Mm. Please, 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 please go and make sure that you're on the right route for the combination that you've got and please don't try and take any little shortcuts and things like that because the fine's absolutely massive if you do it. Oh, yeah. The whole thing has been closed to do the repairs on the damage caused by a landslip, I believe. Right. There is a great map in the story at bigrigs.com.au and there's full details and links to the relevant pieces of information that you need given the different combinations. 
I'd encourage anyone that's using that piece of road to go and have a look at bigrigs.com.au, check the links and make sure you're compliant because if you don't, it'll hurt. It will indeed. I find it interesting though, I mean, that bit of road hasn't been built for that long mm. and to have a landslip on it now, look, admittedly, we've had a lot of rain and it's been terrible, yep. but you've really got to wonder how something like this happens in such a short time frame, you know? Yep. I'm not going to point the finger at anyone. I don't know why it's happened. I'd love to see a geologist report and find out why it's happened, but we never ever will. But yeah, there you are. But then again, why do we put rest areas at the bottom of hills and on corners? Oh, don't even start me on that, mate. <laughs> Now, as you mentioned before, Mike, we're in the middle of the annual Convoy for Kids season around the country and organisers of the Brisbane Convoy were absolutely blown away by the massive turnout last weekend. And so was I, mate. There's 700 plus trucks turned up. How many motorbikes this time? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. The previous record was 631. Wow. It's just incredible. There's a whole list of prizes there. Every man and his dog won a prize. Yeah. As I've said before, over and over again, these convoys are just the industry coming out and showing how we support our communities. And it would be not remiss of me to say that the level of support these things have from the community is quite high as well. Adam Brand was there. He had a bit of a sing and all that, and everyone thought that. The drivers had a ball. Apparently, Santa got a bit of a cuddle. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. You know, Good. I only cuddled Miss Piggy. Someone else is cuddling Santa. Mm. I'm not really interested in cuddling Santa, but anyway. Interesting you mentioning Adam Brand because we've got a bit of his music on the show this week coming up very shortly. All right, eh? Mm. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. Mm. Brisbane Convoy for Kids made a rip-roaring success, raised a heap of money since its inception in 2010, and they've only had just the one year off for COVID. What can I say, mate? Truckies doing it for the community. Great show. Well done. Following on from the viral video and photos we've all seen that features the completely cactus wheels of a Finnemore's B-double at Moree, there's a fine update story on the Big Rigs news page written by one Mike Williams. So at great expense to the management, here he is to share the story. Yeah. <laughs> How was that for an introduction? Mate, I'm blown away. Yeah, there you go. I'm blown away by the introduction. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Anytime. Pleasure to be talking at you. Hmm. This story, now I first saw the video and I thought to myself, gee, this bloke's made a monumental cock-up here. Mm. This is not good and Finnamore's reputation is going to suffer. Now those trucks are probably some of the most monitored trucks on the road. Yeah. They've got all the telemetry, they've got everything in them, you know. Mm. I'd had my bit to say about it. when I was, As I said, when I saw the video, I thought the guy had just then driven into the roadhouse at Moree and uh, the guy that doing the video had followed him in, and this bloke's just looking and seeing the damage for the first time. Mm. And it just goes to show, mate, that you really can't take any notice of what you see on social media for a start. Mm. And it also just goes to show that there are more than enough bloody racists and bigots out there <laughs> yep. who are more than happy to hang sh on someone without all the information and then say, oh, it's okay. Mm. You know, in my view, it's not okay. This is one of the reasons why I thought, oh, we'll get to the bottom of this story. We've interviewed Mark Parry before. Yes. It was a great interview that you did with him way back in the early days when we were talking about, you know, the technology in the trucks. Back when I was a lad, yeah. Mark shared with us the information that they had about their uh, various pieces of technology and we we're all better educated for it. Mm. So I thought, I will reach out to Finnamores and I'll get them to comment on the incident and we'll see if we can find out what really happened. Because if anyone's going to know the story, it's going to be them. 
Oh, for goodness sake. You mean a journalist actually looking for both sides of the story? Oh, yeah, sorry, mate. I'll, I'll give myself an uppercut. What next? What next? Well, what's the world come to? <laughs> anyway, I got a phone call back from Mark, and we had a very long conversation about that incident and a few other things. Mm. And the results of it are what's in the story there on bigrigs.com.au. Now... There's been a couple of developments since that story was printed. Apparently, there was a driver that escorted the Finnamore's driver into the roadhouse and stayed behind him and basically helped him out. Good. There's another piece of information, apparently, about a leaked email from Finnamore's, which I haven't seen. Mm. I got more than 35 links to the video sent to me. Mm. And since I wrote the story in Big Rigs, which was published this very morning, I reckon I've had that link to that thing sent to me again about at least 10 times. But I've also had a heap of heat, no number messages and things sent. They're brave, mate. They're really brave, these people that send these messages. Yeah. And obviously there's been a certain amount of vitriol on the story. I ran out of popcorn reading the comments, mate. I really did. (laughs) I called a couple of these guys out. Yeah. And I'll call them out again. If you've got anything say oh four one eight seven double two four double eight ring me up yeah but don't come at me with anything other than facts yeah because the rest of it's bullshit and understand that i know the truth mm. just to wrap this up as far as i'm concerned i fortunately have never been in the same position as this bloke but i can empathize with him mm. he's out there he hasn't got a lot of phone service he's got shit going wrong it's the middle of the night the side of the road's wet he made a decision not to drive off the side it didn't matter what this bloke did, he was wrong. He was damned if he did, he was damned if he didn't. Of course. Can you just imagine what it would have been like if he'd have put the truck off the side of the road to try and make it safe, put some bloody triangles up and all the rest of it. He's half on, half off the road. And the bloody thing digs in and falls over. Yep. Oh, Raj, what have you done? Yeah. Can you imagine if he's trying to bloody get to somewhere safe but something else goes wrong? Oh, Raj, what have you done? Yep. I'm just about over it, mate. Yep. I really am. It's just gone too far. It's absolutely gone too far. Mark told me that as long as a driver is honest with them, shows a certain amount of contrition for the things that they have done wrong, if in fact they've done anything, yep. tells the truth with them and plays with a straight bat, then most of the time they'll get to stay. Hmm. Mate, I support that. I really do hope that this bloke does get to stay, keep his job, because let's face it, you can't blame the player. The guy did the best he could in circumstances that anyone would have struggled in. Yep. Was there wrong there? Very likely there was a bit of wrong there. Yep. But... You know, did he do the best he could? I think he did. Could there have been a whole heap more wrong? Yes, there could have. Of course there could have been. Yep. And look, let's face it, if he'd have managed to have been lucky enough to get it into Moree with one blown wheel, you know, one blown tyre on the super single set... We'd have heard nothing. We wouldn't have even been talking about it. Yep. Had it been a driver of another nationality, we may not have been talking about it either. Very likely. Does this guy deserve to become what he's become? That video's been seen almost two million times now, I think. Mm. This guy's had his face splashed all over social media, all over the world. He's become the poster child for everything that's broken in this industry. And none of it is his fault. Yeah, guilty by social media. Anyway, I'll get off my horse and I'll probably get another caning for this too. If you're listening to this and you don't agree with it, that's fine. Feel free to call me. Feel free to send me a bloody email, mike at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. But come at me with facts. Bring your facts with you, yep. Mate, I'm off now. I'm going to pull the handbrake on. Oh, good. Well, mate, we missed out last week, so thought for the week. Thank you. If you get tired of continually starting again, then stop giving up. (laughs) Oh, mate, there's something in that for all of us, I think, don't you? I think there may well be. (laughs) Mate, continue northward and stay safe. 
I will indeed. Thanks for that, mate. You stay safe and we'll see you on the road. <laughs> you will indeed. <laughs> for all the latest industry news, go to www.bigrigs.com.au. To take us out of the show this week, here's the wonderful Adam Brand, ably supported on bass by Matt Cornell, our music guest this week, with a thumping remake of Queen's great classic, Fat Bottom Girls. Oh, you're gonna take me home tonight Oh, down beside that red fire light Oh, you're gonna let it all hang out Fat Bottom Girls, you make the rockin' world go Proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer, and Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Be sure to join us again next week when our guest says... We'll probably do a three-way. Mike says... Blah, blah, blah. And Andy says... Well, it's expected at some stage, isn't it? In the meantime, play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. Sad.